Welcome. I'm Sebastian Mafud, and you're listening to WCAT Radio, the on-air wing of Enroute Books and Media, bringing you the dulcet sounds of Catholic wisdom with Bob Olson, who will now introduce today's show and speaker. Welcome to Just Plain Theology from Rome, Sweet Rome. This is a program offered by Natalia Eugen, a location in Rome, except uh, Natalia is not in Rome. She's on her summer vacation and will be going back to Rome shortly. But she does have a guest today, right, Natalia? Hello, Dr. Lorraine Hartnett. Hello, Bob. Hello, Natalia. Oh, just getting started, I was just asking Lorraine uh, what you talked about last week, and you can pick it up here. Sure. So go ahead, Lorraine. We were talking about wounds and acute wounds. Yes, last week we talked about acute and chronic wounds, but um, that kind of has led us to thinking that if we're going to be dealing um, in that particular arena, um, spiritually, in an acute spiritual situation, with uh, in a place where the enemy wants to destroy everyone, then maybe we need some special spiritual direction to be doing that. Right. We had a good conversation about that the other day, and um, you know, when you're in in that kind of environment where you have people who need a lot of technical skills, a lot of professional training. I think there might be a um, a bit of uh, maybe some kind of a squeamishness about talking about the spiritual things and battles, spiritual battles, um, and and like that amongst Catholics if they talk about it at all. Um, I I don't know what you've encountered between that, so it would be interesting to talk uh, from your perspective about that realm, like, is, is this discussed at all in terms of the spiritual warfare that's there? Um, and also, what might be the differences between the kind of situation um, a doctor might find themselves in in terms of the spiritual battle and perhaps a nurse? We touched on that because, you know, you've got different realms of um, not only expertise but authority involved there and contact with the patient on a more consistent basis. I think um, we touched upon a lot of different topics here. And let's take um, the first thing first, which is, are we allowed to speak about the spiritual when we're dealing with the medical problem? That's a very interesting question because, sure, first, we have to take care of the medical issues. We are trained professionals. People come to us because... You know, they're having trouble breathing and they have asthma and they need us to order medicine and make sure they can breathe. They have a heart attack and we need to take care of them. They have a chronic wound and we need to be able to identify what kind it is, what treatment they need, and carry out the treatment. So you're talking about a lot of um, what they would call in um, um, common um, secular nomenclature as executive functions have to be done, a lot of them at once. So that's what we're trained for. So we're trained many, 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 many years and hours to kind of act um, immediately on, um, on the basis of what we see. So there's not a lot of time for sitting around and thinking. Um, there's no ivory tower. <laughs> yeah. It's more, like a red, it's more like a red dungeon. You know, <laughs> go into that, that's what it's like. You just go in there and, you, you know, you're... You're presented with a patient, and, 
And they expect you, of course, they come for the doctor. So what do I think? <laughs> I think that we become nurses and doctors, that we're called to those professions or other healthcare professionals or even other people who work in healthcare. doesn't matter what you do. I, I believe that um, God calls us because he wants to reclaim health care. <laughs> because health care is a place, it's like a, it's like a foreign nation that's at war with us. And mm-hmm. um, that doesn't even speak our language. And we need to go in there and we need to claim it for the Lord because it has been taken over. Now, of course, it's not totally taken over. You still can go anywhere and get your heart attack taken care of. You can get your stitches put in. You can get your wound taken care of. But the question is, is that all that God wants from this encounter Mm -hmm. between between the doctor and the patient? And I'll speak from the doctor's point of view first. So as the doctor, I'm like the captain of the ship. You know, I have to tell everybody what to do. So... I want to be in a circumstance that, that's organized and um, can, where I can carry out all these medical things uh, very, very well, effectively for the patient. But as a Catholic doctor, as a doctor with a conscience, mm-hmm. my, my job is to take care of the whole patient. And I don't like the fact that the New Age has taken over the term holistic because holistic really means all aspects of the patient's healing. And right. I'm there for that. And there is no true healing that's going to take place without the spiritual. So I am at the intersection of, I like to think of it as the holy and the unholy, okay? Mm-hmm. So the place where the doctor and the patient meet is the holy, okay? Mm-hmm. The unholy is are all the restrictions, constrictions that are put on us now, and not so much in the past, okay? In the past, it was very common for the doctor. He came from your town. He went to your house. He knew you. He went to church with you. I say he because most of them were men. Um, mm-hmm. And he was part of life and a, a, a person just like you. You knew him. Um, it's not like that anymore with all the specialization and everything that's happened over the last 40 years that I've been a doctor. Certainly, um, medicine, the care of medicine has become very, um, what word could I use, compartmentalized, yeah. jointed, all of those words that have to do with, um, with not communicating and not mm-hmm. being one and not holistic, Okay. So let's talk about what happens right now. Right now, I go to work. I'm expected to see um, X number of patients per day, um, X number of patients per hour. That's Mm -hmm. how it works now. And the doctor who is not spiritually um, stable, steady, with his his, um, feet on the rock, (laughs) so to speak, easily drawn into that tsunami of regulations and expectations and that have to do with making money. So basically right now the doctor, as opposed to the way it was years ago, is seen as the source of income 
for the medical facility. Mm -hmm. So the patients, you see patients, and that's where the money comes. Okay? Whether you're a surgeon in an operating room or a doctor in an office, the way that the, the uh, company, the hospital, or the doctor himself gets uh, paid is through his, his interaction with the patient. That's how the medical system is set up. So, literally, that's great from a spiritual point of view. That means God puts you right there at the intersection. Mm -hmm. So, as you know, every intersection is a place where, where um, accidents can occur, where you have to have a lot of attention, where things can go wrong, you know, no matter what kind of intersection that will be, whether it's an intersection in downtown New York, whether it's an intersection of your knee with your lower leg, you know, those are places that get a lot of stress, a lot of action, and they have to be taken care of. And since mm -hmm. the doctor is working there, the doctor needs to be very firmly Catholic. You're going to survive. And the fact is today that there aren't a lot of doctors who are willing to live their faith completely in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So I don't say that as a criticism of them. I say that because no one's really teaching them um, how to be a Catholic, number one. Mm -hmm. so they may go to church on Sunday and uh, they're not going to hear anything about what it means to be a Catholic doctor, that's for sure. They may hear it in confession. So sometimes I have priests come to me and ask me what they should say to a doctor who's in this or that situation because they're very specific circumstances that the healthcare professional finds themselves in nowadays, okay? Mm -hmm. And they're, they're, there's a road to hell and there's a road to healing. And unless you're very aware of the crumbs that are on the road, you're not going to go the right, the right way. Because you're being pushed. You're being pushed towards the money option, towards making money, towards working fast, towards getting, moving the patients through. Of course, at the same time, not making any mistakes or getting blamed for anything that might go wrong. So the pressure that's on a physician is tremendous. Now, some might say, I have no time to talk to patients about their spiritual life. But I would say that it's the patients about the spiritual. Because mm -hmm. by bringing the spiritual into the conversation, into the examining room, into the operating room, then... then you're bringing Jesus there, and he's the only one who can get you out of these sticky wickets, so to speak. I mean, right. you have to have Jesus with you. You have to know your faith. You have to rely on your faith. And the catechism, the magisterial teaching of the church, just as much as, and more than you have to rely on your medical skill right now. Mm -hmm. any... Any moron can write, a, can write an order for morphine. But the Catholic doctor is not going to write an order that's going to kill someone. Right. But the doctor who is, just, who is going to work and trying to be the best doctor he or she can and, and taking care of the patients, 
might be um, um, sucked in in the sense of of a whirlpool <laughs> into yeah. a situation where they are confused. You know, where they think, oh, you know, this patient is this patient's really old, or this patient's really sick, or this, you know, so some morphine to help them help them feel better and you know not have pain and and so what if they don't need it right now? Um, so the order's written. Let's just give it. Um, mm-hmm. Or that's the or that's the algorithm, okay? <laughs> in the hospice, or in the in the, in the um, emergency room, or in the nursing home, um, the nurse may be asked to give something that's really not not required, and actually may hasten death. Now, you have to really be able to think on your feet as a Catholic in order to act in those situations. You have to be able to stand back and know what's involved and to know the teachings of the church and to be completely, completely clear in yourself about those issues that may arise. And that is an area that is not dealt with at all in medical training, that mm-hmm. is not dealt with at all in, in the proper um, spiritual formation of a physician, which basically doesn't exist except on your own. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is a very serious matter as far as the church is concerned because as opposed to someone, everybody's important, okay? You know, I do not think a doctor does this job. We are called, we have a vocation. But um, it happens to be a really important vocation right now, and it happens to be that right now many of the major... Um, sins of the secular world have to do with medical care. Mm-hmm. Um, think about euthanasia, contraception, um, stem cell technologies. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Right, they all right. Have abortion. They all have their roots in the medical profession, and they're all carried out by doctors or nurses or other people who have to do with the medical profession. And this is serious business. I mean, we're not talking about, um, you know, a, a decision that you might make on your own that has to do with one particular event. We're talking about a societal um, and a, in the universal church, a major problem. And as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking not only do the patients have to know what's going on, and what's happened right now is that the patients, the Catholic patients who are serious about their faith basically have a lot of um, suspicion of doctors and distrust of anyone in the medical profession. And I don't think that needs to be the case because God is in charge and he is taking care of things. And we can't always be taken care of by a Catholic doctor, but we sure as heck can be taken care of by a doctor who cares about what he's doing. Uh, but in terms of the big picture, we have priests who don't understand what's going on in the medical field who are then called upon to give counsel to pe- the patients, the families, to doctors and nurses and the confessional. Uh, we have the doctors themselves who basically, since, since I have a group for, for healthcare professionals called the Eucharistic Helpers of the Sick, who's been meeting every, every first Saturday for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And our mission is to reclaim health care for the Lord. So 
Why do we have that? Why did God make that 12 years ago? It's for this reason, I believe, that it's for our formation, for our spiritual formation, and that we just stand on that rock of, of Jesus. And, and, you know, I love the scripture, my, um, my soul clings to you and your right hand holds me fast. Because, you know, clinging is not something that doctors do very easily. Right. On the contrary, it's the patient who, who has to cling in many ways to what aid is given, what hope can be given, uh, given to them in, in medical services that they'll provide, you know. Right. And I think that in this circumstance, with physicians and nurses, we have to cling to our Catholic faith, to our magisterial teaching, to our sacraments. And we must listen, mm -hmm. we must obey, okay, obey without even thinking like a soldier, you know, obey mm -hmm. those teachings and trust that the Lord is holding us fast because we are on slippery ground here. Um, mm -hmm. in, in medicine, I, I, to go into it is very, it's kind of depressing to even think about it, but when you consider all the circumstances that are caused by medical actions, um, all the ethical um, circumstances that are pre presented to a physician and a nurse and a patient every, every day in every hospital, um, it's kind of overwhelming. And that's why I, I prefer to, uh, to call on the Holy Spirit to show me the way to holiness that's part of our prayer that we say every month. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, just the Holy Spirit, show me the way to holiness. So, so what, what I do, and what I would recommend any doctor do, any nurse, and any person, of course, but we're talking about the medical profession right now because we are at that intersection of the holy and the unholy. I mean, it is a, it is a busy, busy turnpike there, let me tell you. And... Mm -hmm. um, and everything's whizzing by, so you better know what's going on. So I could not function without going to Mass every morning before work and receiving Jesus in the Holy Eucharist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> to put it simply, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, I couldn't do my work because right. every day there are people coming in who you know, want something that I don't want to give, who, uh, and I'm talking yeah. about all the times I've been a doctor, you know. Oh, uh, you know, little things, little things. Talk about a man who's single who comes in and wants a prescription for Viagra mm -hmm. from his doctor. I mean, I'm talking about something that, that mo mostly isn't life-threatening, okay? But right. it certainly is a, it is an ethical issue, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. That's not... That's not, I mean, it is an ethical issue. <laughs> One should not be doing that if you're a Catholic doctor, <laughs> period. Okay? Never. Right. Mm -hmm. Yet it's done every single day. So that, that's the least of it. And, you know, the, the extreme, of course, is counseling a woman to get an abortion, mm -hmm. writing her a prescription for an abortifacient, mm -hmm. or telling a family that it's okay um, to not put a feeding tube in their, you know, elderly parent. When that's got to be, 
Right. Now, how have you run into that yourself personally where you see that you know, you're at this point where someone is getting close to the end of life and the family is watching this person suffer and they want to end the suffering and yet it's not time yet for them to pass and they need still that that material sustenance which cannot be ethically taken away and yet it, to them it looks like cruelty have you dealt with a family that was very much against doing something like that uh, oh of course of course how, how, what, uh, how what was that like well that, I, I have and I certainly have have been have witnessed many times when that's happened so Usually, the people who come to me uh, for guidance are, are kind of Catholic people, you know, who I will help. Um, I get a lot of phone calls from people at that intersection. And mm -hmm. so I, I know what the patients are facing. For the doctor themselves, okay, in a situation where clearly um, the patient needs food and nutrition, okay, mm -hmm. nutrition and hydration, Mm -hmm. They are not. I like to think of life as like a racetrack, okay? <laughs> I think St. Paul talks about a race too. But I, I always liked horse racing, you know, when I was a kid, my father would take me. So I think of a track, okay? Now, anybody who's been to a track, it's, they're usually kind of oval-shaped. or So there are like a few different turns, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's the final turn, at which point... You're just you're just chasing the the, the finish line, and you know, there isn't much to do then. So at that at that point, then certainly artificial nutrition and hydration are not indicated because the patient probably can't even utilize the nutrition and or hydration, and in fact, it can make them worse. Mm -hmm. So if you're actually on that final turn towards death then giving the patient an IV or giving them a feeding tube could even make them worse, make them feel worse, and certainly um, actually hasten their death. So um, that, that's a place where sometimes Catholics are, like very um, um, Orthodox Catholics, you know, with a small O, they, they think like you have to do this no matter what. Okay, mm -hmm. give mm -hmm. hydration. Well, that's not true, you know. Mm -hmm. Someone's dying of cancer and their liver isn't working and they're retaining all this fluid. Giving them fluid is going to make them worse, mm -hmm. okay. If someone is, you know, in the final stages of, of uh, approaching death very rapidly, they're not going to be able to utilize that nutrition anyway. And mm -hmm. so you don't, wanna, you don't need to put them through that. That would be useless. Mm -hmm. It would be harmful. It would be painful. So it would be the opposite of compassionate. Mm -hmm. But you find a lot of a, a lot of Catholics um, think that you have to do it all the time, which you don't, because yeah. it takes knowing the situation. Okay, you have to have a doctor who knows the situation. So, you know, as a doctor, I see people in that place who are Catholics, and I have to counsel them one way. Then you see people who. Um, are totally not paying attention to their Catholic faith, and, and they don't want to see their family um, member uncomfortable, um, but the family member is nowhere near death. And, you know, they have to be counseled that you have to give the patient nutrition and hydration, mm -hmm. period. That is, a, that is the rule that John Paul II so 
eloquently wrote about that and lived it. Um, and that is a time which it, it's obvious. If you're the doctor taking care of somebody, you know that's the case. So you present it to the patient's family, and the family may think you're crazy, okay, mm -hmm. or they may listen to you. If you have a good relationship with the family, then most of the time they listen. That's, mm -hmm. that's my, my um, experience, that you have to grow relationships with people. And by uh, having a relationship with the family, they understand and they trust you. It's that bond of trust. Now, how frequently, uh, my question was, how frequently do you see those kind of relationships being forged, or is that alien to the way because, you know, in, in uh, religious training, they would talk about that as, you know, a kind of pastoral formation. Um, and in the medical field, I don't know that you have a whole lot of that in the training. Perhaps it's better today, but, I mean, have you seen much no, of that? you have nothing. You have nothing. <gasps> Everything is disjointed, okay? You, you, maybe you'll have a course on um, yoga and Reiki and stuff like that. <laughs> nice. Okay? But mm. there ain't no way that you're going to have a course on, you know, when to call someone for the sacraments and, you know, whether you yeah. need to put a feeding tube in or not. In fact, what you'll be taught in most places is that, for instance, let's take the dementia patient. Um, no dementia patient should get a feeding tube is what most, most um, geriatricians say. That's what they say. So it's okay to just let them starve. Um, in fact, it's wrong to give them a feeding tube because then you're just uh, prolonging their life, which is just, um, you know, it's just horrible anyway. So what you're seeing is this, the, the, the society, the, um, the euthanist, <laughs> okay, the euthanasia files are saying that it's okay. It's okay to kill people because their life isn't worth living. So... You know, how do you teach a, a doctor who doesn't really know a patient how to make the decision? Well, you brought up a good point. It needs that, you need that relationship. You need that, like that, that ability to have that, that uh, you know, that relationship of caring and loving and trust that used to be present in a physician-patient relationship. Now, you bring up because a good point there, that it used to be there anyway because they, they knew the doctor in many cases because right. it might have been, you know, depending on where you were in the country, one of the only ones, but you'd go every year and you would, you know, it was more natural because you were also, um, you, you would encounter that, that physician perhaps in other contexts. But I know people that I've had conversations with who, who see that, um, developing a relationship with the patient and remaining a, a, a remaining in a kind of professional objective stance that these two things are mutually exclusive. Yes, and I think that um, that is the general state of affairs because mm -hmm. what happened at the same time, and it probably was in that oh-so-horrible 60s, the 60s and 70s when everything kind of fell apart, mm -hmm. um, when um, the, the unchained uh, devil was able to really accomplish quite a bit and plant a lot of seeds of destruction, that what happened, all, all of this technology came, all of these new advances, um, and at the same time, of course, 
the kind of pseudo-freedom of being a consumer and wanting more and more money. Everybody wanted money. Everybody wanted to live longer. Everybody wanted... And families were destroyed, so everything kind of happened at the same time. It was like the perfect storm. So all of a sudden, you had all these doctors who were specialists. So, of course, they don't know the patients as well. And then at the same time, you had the, um, the arising of uh, health maintenance organizations and um, insurance companies who now wanted to monitor health care, and uh, the pressure started being placed on the doctors to perform and to put out a certain number of patients per day to see, uh, you know, so it was all about money and performance. And, and of course, the doctors themselves were wrapped up in wanting that, um, you know, the one next to me a couple of weeks ago was uh, a Maserati in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. I, would, I like to be like the, I belong to the Pope Francis School of Cars, you know. <laughs> I'd like to go around to that parking lot not that someone, you know, they work hard, but, man, you don't need that. So I think there's a lot of greed in this world, and it kind of seeped into the medical profession, not, to, not in any way to undermine those beautiful doctors who are out there who are trying to do their best, and nurses too, seriously, because mm -hmm. there are many of them, many, many, many. You know, there isn't. The doctors who are making a lot of money are long gone. It doesn't yeah. happen anymore because now they've been infiltrated by organizations that are controlling them. Um, I like to think of it as, uh, you know, all those times when you were warned by God, Israel was warned by God, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, you know, the nation from the north is going to come get you, or that queen of the south, she's going to come, she's going to take you away. And they just didn't listen. Well, you know what? That's what I think 12 years ago, I, I talked about this at a few big organizations. I wrote some stuff about it. Of course, no, no one listens anyway um, because it sounds so crazy, but I think we really sold out. And so other people took us over, and now it's worse than ever. So now mm -hmm. there is no time to make a relationship with, and now here's the big clause, with your own power. Okay. So mm -hmm. with your own human power, mm -hmm. there is no time to make a relationship because patients are placed every 15 minutes. Yeah. Okay? Right. And, you know, <laughs> let me tell you, I work it. I'm there. But yeah. I'm telling you, it is the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus in the Eucharist and it is His Holy Mother, the Queen of Heaven and Earth. Okay? Yeah. Who... Mm -hmm interacts right there whether before I get in, when I'm there and they make the way straight so the relationship can be forged it is kind of like uh, I would even say I mean, I hate to say these things but it's kind of a supernatural thing because in 15 minutes <laughs> things couldn't happen the way they happen okay? mm -hmm. you could not have your own power develop a relationship with people yet I see it happen and I see it happen with me I see it happen with other doctors who are and nurses I have more contact with the nurses of course um, since since there aren't too many doctors who want to uh, reclaim health care mm -hmm. <laughs> they're more interested in their own you know issues which are putting their kids through college when they're making $20 per patient visit 
You know what I'm saying? Right. So there's a lot of, there's a lot going on here, and and that even points more to the need for the spiritual formation of Catholic doctors and nurses because we are there. We're everywhere. And 12 years ago, when I spoke at this conference, I said one of the one of the statements was, "There is a white-robed army in the me- in the medical field, just ready to be released." Okay. Mm-hmm. And, but they need to be taught. They need to know it's okay to talk about um, to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, to talk about the relationship of the patient to God. And you know, sometimes I take care of people who are Jewish or Hindu or whatever. You know, I'm not always taking care of someone who's Catholic or Christian. Um, but that relationship with God is like so important to address right on. So. That, we have to know that as doctors and nurses, we must give that to our patients. That is part of our calling. So when Jesus meets us in heaven, he's going to say, come on in, my good and faithful servant. He's not going to say, go to the everlasting fire or the mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, because, because we have taken the talents that he's given us and we have multiplied them to the nth degree. You know, that's what we're called on to do. If, if I look at the medical field, okay, if you want to invest in your, super, in, your, in your eternal life, take a job in the medical field because you will be given opportunities every day to multiply your talents. <laughs> the talents in the, in, in the gospel terms, <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. you can, there are so many opportunities every single day, but... I am able to take advantage of them because of what I have been taught over the years by many beautiful people and some who are here, some who are not here. And um, most importantly, I I learned to just lay down in front of God and give myself over to him. Let me me ask you, let let me ask you, um, uh, Lorraine, about the role of spiritual direction, this was something else we were talking about, was that there might be a different or perhaps you could say a specific approach to someone who's a doctor or a nurse. Could you talk about what it is you think helps the most there that might be specific to those professions, those vocations? Yes, I think um, number one, this problem needs to be recognized. Mm-hmm. Because there are thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people working in the medical field now. So this is a big problem, just as it's the biggest, um, I think it's the biggest employer in the United States um, than the medical field, then by virtue of the sheer numbers, there should be many, many people, if they're going to confession, who belong to that medical field, right? Mm-hmm. So the ability to give spiritual direction to these people must be, be taught. The, the priests have to know what they're doing. <laughs> they have to know, they have to understand the situations that these people are in. Because it's a lot like um, being in, at war, okay? So this is how I look at it. That every day when I go to work, I'm going into the battle between life and death, okay? And 
yesterday I was reading from the Book of Wisdom. It was crazy. I was just led to it. And it said, For God made not death. And I said, God made not death, for he created all things that they might be. And he made the nations of the earth for health. Now, I certainly never remember reading that before. But <laughs> when I read it, it just put it all in focus. Because God did not make disease. God did not make death. And God did not make the destruction of the living that we're seeing today. These things have come from the hands of fallen uh, men and women uh, who are influenced by um, our, our, each, our enemy, you know, um, and we know who he is. And that's, that is the definition of spiritual warfare. Now, we're all in a spiritual warfare. Just by living on this earth and breathing, you're in spiritual warfare because the devil doesn't want you to be alive, okay? That mm-hmm. is the fact. It's a simple fact. I mean, I see a lot of things black and white. You might know that. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's the way it is. And, you know, if you don't know the reality, the truth, then you can't, you know, you can't live mm-hmm. in the truth. If you don't know the truth. So that is the truth. The truth is we are all in a spiritual battle. And, uh, you know, years ago, there were um, um, wonderful leaders who taught us that. You know, you can listen to Fulton Sheen, and it's just beautiful to listen to his talks because, mm-hmm. you know, he knows. You know, you cannot, you cannot um, shortchange these things. You know, these are, these are real issues. You know, this isn't a joke. You can't be tolerant when it comes to talking about giving food and nutrition to a demented man who's had dementia for one year and is completely hale and hearty otherwise. This is not being tolerant of the family. This mm-hmm. is not being tolerant of the society. You can't be that way. You have to you have to be able to stand up for what's right and wrong. And when a when a mother brings a child into the uh, emergency room and she wants the morning after pill, well yeah. then the nurse there, either the nurse who treats her first, okay, or the doctor has to be able to say, no, that is wrong. And I don't mm-hmm. care what anybody says, you see. Now, you do have to stand up for what's right, and what's right is what's right, and mm-hmm. what's wrong is what's wrong. And you have, to know, you have to know what's right and wrong. You have to have the gumption and the training to be, and the strength and the courage and every little, um, every little gift and fruit of the Holy Spirit to be able to live this. Don't, mm-hmm. I, I am not making, saying this is a simple thing, but, you know, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. And when you're a physician, you are not ignorant. I don't believe that you have the right to fall on ignorance when it comes to these issues. If you're a physician who's Catholic, you have to know about these issues. And you have to be able to say, no, I am not prescribing the morning after pill for your 15-year-old daughter who just had sex. I'm not doing that. Mm And and be willing to lose your job over it because that could Correct. very well happen. You do, and I suppose you know there are ways to say, but there are ways to say things like that. Okay, so that's where that's where the training comes in. So right. how does the spiritual direction come in? First of all, you have to be committed to the church and its teachings. 
<laughs> you have to be obedient to the magisterial teachings of the church, period. You have to know what they are, and you have to be obedient. Then you have to be moving in your own path towards holiness, okay? So whether you're a, 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 you know, a, um, a boat captain, a, a doctor, um, a guy who um, makes uh, machine parts, or a, a, tree, a tree trimmer, you have to be moving towards holiness. That is what we're all supposed to be doing as Catholics, okay? And then, depending on your own specific profession, you have other issues. Now, we know that certain professions happen to be very significant for large numbers of people, and they have to do with issues that are very significant in the world in general. And I, I would think medicine is one of those, and so is the legal profession, mm. okay? And, right. you know, so is the teaching profession, you know. That, uh, and, of course, I'm not even talking about the, the religious vocations. Um, so let's just talk about the secular professions that you're in. So here you are. You're a physician. You're trying to be a Catholic. As it stands now, you get absolutely no direction from anybody. In fact, when you go and ask for spiritual direction, the, usually the priest will say, um, I'm too busy, I can't handle something like that. Go to this person, go to that person. Go, you know, so you end up going to a million people and you don't, you don't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, also, there are people out there who probably shouldn't go to. So um, there are, there's a lot that's lacking. And I think we find that this is lacking for any Catholic. But these professions, you know, they, they affect a lot of people. So let me take the physician. So you go to... You need to have the sacrament on a regular basis. So by, by receiving the sacrament and being in a state of grace, then you, are, you, you have what it takes. But you need help. And the help, for the most part, is not there very much. So... Um, we need to we need to shore that up somehow, and I think that's why we're talking about this. Um, so I need I think priests have to have the calling to um, ask in the confessional what kind of issues that the the particular person in the confessional is dealing with. All right, and I don't think that's wrong. I mean, I think it's right. Doctor, you know, help the help the person examine their conscience. Mm-hmm. Teach now. You can't teach and then not be there for them. So mm-hmm. I think we have a lot of issues here. We have we have a, a reaching out to Catholic healthcare professionals, coming up with some kind of uh, study that they need to take. Okay, that of course the 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 secular profession is never going to give them. But some course of study that we can offer them, which teaches them about the the more common um, problems that come up, and what they, as healthcare professionals, are supposed to do. So, as a physician, if you're Catholic, you know perhaps there could be. We certainly have our group. There's um, um, there are nationwide organizations of Catholic physicians, but. Um, for the most part, they're not thriving and vibrant, and, and there, 
on the ground when you need it. So we need kind of a lot of little battalion chiefs and sergeants who can help people on the ground. We don't need a lot of generals. We need a general, but we need people on the ground. So when a doctor has a question, they can call someone. When mm-hmm. someone has an issue, they can discuss it. So there has to be a place to do that. And that's what we've tried to do over the years, and, and certainly we've been doing. So our little group of people, um, I know, are very well trained um, because they're interested in it. And they wanted it. Mm-hmm. They saw the pitfalls, and they wanted it. This group came out of all of us who were in it recognizing what was out there. We started seeing, wait, there were no doc, there were no um, priests out here anymore. There are people dying without, you know, the sacraments. Um, wait, they're asking me to do things that I know are wrong. Um, hold on, I need more help. That's, that's how this group came about. Yeah. It, because we Catholics began to see that things were lacking. So I think there's a lot of teaching that needs to be done, both of the physicians, nurses, and priests who are, who are their spiritual directors. Most, most of the time now, spiritual direction, what we have of it, is done in the confessional because there aren't priests around to do spiritual direction for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. I, at least I, I don't find them readily available. Um, and I don't find that it's suggested very often. So um, mm-hmm. maybe we need to embrace the modern uh, media and come up with some kind of um, online kind of spiritual guidance for physicians and nurses. You know, well, that, that would be a good idea for for physicians, for nurses, and then you know to have a place where anyone and you now now you're imagining lay people who are in a particular position where they're in the hospital. There's some crisis, they're not sure which way to go. Like you said before, you know, you've got Catholics who might think that the feeding tube is absolutely necessary always and that they're, you know, they're they're not uh, familiar enough with with what the doctor knows by by profession um, to determine that for themselves, you know, so they get nervous. And so, of course, there's a lot of mistrust of doctors. And, you know, you can have someone who's a very good clinician and just wants to do what's right at some, you know, sort of a basic level. You know, they may not think that their faith has a place and maybe they are, they, they practice something nominally. And so, you know, they're not going to, they're not looking, they're not uh, promoting some kind of uh, an agenda, let's just say. You know, they just want right. to do what's right and want to do what the family wants. So when you, you know, if you have family who isn't sure, they turn to a physician who just wants to do what they want. Everyone's sort of in a, a bit of a conundrum. So we've got a place where lay people could call in and say, well, what should I do? Or nurse, yes. like I said, is in a position saying, I can see this coming down the pike. What, how, you know, how do I prepare myself? Um, what, what do I do? Like when Plan B uh, became something that had to be, I think in Connecticut, I forgot how the law was stated when it came out, but it was something that had to be offered. You know, when someone yes. came after sexual assault. And now you're put in a, in a real bind as a Catholic. And so, you know, once you see that coming, you have to start thinking, well, how am I going to handle this? And like you said, there's a way, if, some, if you've gained the trust of somebody, there's a different approach um, where they'll be receptive to what it, you're leading them. 
I think that, that that's the part that's that's probably difficult for a lot of people because let's say an emergency room, you dealt with this, you don't have a lot of time. Even now you said fifteen minutes sometimes you see people. So your <laughs> own you know, your own holiness has an effect on how it works in very mysterious spiritual ways and what, how it will perhaps make someone else receptive to you in ways you can't even discern. Oh, for sure. You know, I wouldn't go into my room without um, you know, the Blessed Mother is around my neck. She, she, she greets the people. And mm. <laughs> seriously, I, and I do not consider it a charm. I know the Blessed Mother is with me. And, right. Um, but to have some holy object, that's mm-hmm. how we started. We would say we need our ho- we need our stuff. So we'd have we'd have the stuff. We'd have we'd be wearing something holy. That's how patients would know. It was mm-hmm. kind of like a secret code word. Okay, like and it makes a difference to them. That. I mean, that it makes does. a difference. They'll see it, it and suddenly, right? Yeah, it opens up the whole. A, you know, a whole other realm of things. It allows you to speak about things that are real, that are more real than their their dressings that they're getting or the medicines that they're getting. It, you talk about their eternal life. So, like I had a patient the other day and he was Catholic and he, we, said, we were just talking about, you know, God and everything, and as I always do, and it just comes up, you know. He comes up. God comes mm-hmm. up. If you are open to talking about him, trust me, he comes up. Mm-hmm. So um, he said to me, well, you know, he wasn't going to church. Is it? Well, you know, eternity is like right around the corner, man. You're, you're just about as old as I am. So you know, you're going to be meeting him. You're just going to be meeting him. And, and at the last moment, you're going to want a priest there. Mm-hmm. So why not start now? <laughs> While well, you can walk and talk and go to church, I mean, you're going to need to do it anyway. And so that kind of like a freedom of, of speaking, okay, mm. when the Lord puts the words in your mouth and you, they, they come out of your mouth and you're saying like, what the heck am I talking about? Um, that's what God wants them to hear and he uses you. And that's, that's, but that takes a lot of, you know, sitting in front of him and really putting yourself in his hands. I mean, that's as simple as that. And, you know, I would say a, an hour at adoration every week at least, <laughs> you know, to sit mm-hmm. and bring your problems to him and just let him work on you, you know, because mm-hmm. this is all in his hands. And it's a very murky, murky place out there right now, Natalia. So right. We all need guidance. So the patients and their families need guidance. And mm-hmm. I'm one who wants them to have it before they get in that situation. So right. let's have them have a place to go, a person to talk to. Let's, let's have the doc, Catholic doctors and nurses know they have a place to receive the information they need and get spiritually formed. And, and let's teach the priests about what common areas are going to come up in the confessional. Mm-hmm. And maybe even guide them and when they have a conversation with the doctor, you, you know, who's a urologist or are you doing vas- vasectomies, for instance. Mm-hmm. If you're an obstetrician, are you writing prescriptions for contraceptives? Mm-hmm. You know, are you doing abortions? Are you sending people to get abortions by somebody else? Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many. If you're a pediatrician, are you... Are you um, 
encouraging the mother to give the, the daughter the HPV vaccine, mm. you know, a human papillomavirus, which you get mm. only through, you know, intimate sexual contact, and they mm. recommend it now for all young teenagers. Are you giving into that mm-hmm. social situation? Are you recommending that they use condoms? Are you, you know, contributing to that? world that's around this is this is not easy stuff and i am not even i am not even suggesting that everyone just come out and 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 speak um from their their uh their their knowledge okay their words because sometimes we have to use uh prudence and if you have five kids sitting at home who have hungry mouths to feed the doctor probably should be very prudent about mm-hmm. who he works for number one right and what he says if he's working for someone who isn't quite in line with his teaching now mm-hmm. you can't always work at a catholic hospital i didn't until now and now it's uh, there's so much freedom for me there i thank god every day that he put me there mm-hmm. um, because i can have you know, my crucifix. I, uh, you know, I can be open about it. But when I was working in the non-Catholic arena, let me tell mm-hmm. you, it is, it is a war out there. It well, is you wicked. Have, yeah, I mean, you'll have people who are hostile to just simple iconography. You can have a very small, you've got the picture of the Blessed Mother, a crucifix. It could be very, very it could, if they, there are people who are just hostile to the visuals, you know, it's, well, as they said, that's why, they use, they, that's why the priest uses a nice big crucifix during an exorcism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And you see, I'm not, I, I, people cooperate with evil. That's what they do. And whether they know it or not, that's what they do. And that's how all these evils come into play. Mm-hmm. You know, there wouldn't be an abortion clinic if, the guy who built the building wouldn't build the building for the abortionist. If the guy who does flooring wouldn't put the flooring in there. If the guy who puts the toilets in wouldn't put the toilets in there. If the guy mm-hmm. who sold the equipment wouldn't sell the equipment. If the nurse who helps the doctor wouldn't work there. If the secretary wouldn't work there. If the doctor wouldn't do it. You see, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different levels of cooperation here. Right. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, they the the boss, the big the big um, the big down under boss it doesn't want you know, wants the evil to to thr- to flourish mm-hmm. and and to strangle us. So, for so many doctors, just thinking about these things would give them a headache and have them run away. Mm-hmm. They don't want to think about this stuff. So, in twelve years of having a group, I've had very few doctors who have come through the doors because, you know, I think there are a lot of issues, and I I I, I just think it's very 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 difficult however right now we are at the boiling point (laughs) so there is no time now to be lukewarm you're either with us or you're against us that's how i feel we are right now like Mm -hmm. you we cannot go go swimming in this polluted uh, you know medical field anymore no 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 that we really have to have to stand up and say what's right Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe it requires a job somewhere else, or maybe it requires a different kind of profession. I couldn't go back to pediatrics anymore mm-hmm. because the rules of the American Academy of Pediatrics are that I would have to um, 
comply with behaviors that are, are against my conscience. Right. And so I can't do it. So, you know, this is where the spiritual direction of the doctors comes in and of the medical students and of anyone who's thinking of going into medicine. You know, it's not a small area. It's not like giving spiritual direction to concert or pianists. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a lot of people. Right. A lot right. of people. So there needs to be a concerted effort. I would think first by, um, you know, maybe the bishops having some, you know, organizations that teach, maybe some some place people could go. We have to be... It, we have to be taught, so certainly we can we can start, and there are places, some places, but there's no real concerted effort to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that it needs to be done, and it's it's tough because you're on the battlefield. Oh my lord, you know <laughs> this is life and death. You know this is life and death. So when that scripture talks about God did not make death. This is where you're work. You're you are working in the place where life and death are are being fought out, life or death, and right. that's where we are. That's where we are in this medical profession. I mean, that's it. And you have to realize it, accept it, and and find a place where you can work that that will allow you to be Catholic which, of course, presupposes that you know what that means. Right. The formation is vital, and that's, that's, been, you know, that's been lacking in catechesis for a number of decades on a general level. Um, it's gotten better, and in terms of um, seminary formation, I know with the guys that I've studied with, you know, they, they are required often to take courses of bioethics and that sort of thing because of this. Because it's true. It's true, and those courses can be very... Um, dense and um, where the rubber meets the road uh, there's a lot of teaching that can be done right because the actual circumstances like real life circumstances see you gave me a lot of ideas I think we need to write some books <laughs> hey we've got we've, we've got a media corporation that's going to help us out with that <laughs> you know? I know I mean really I think that would be you know that, that's the way to go Let's, let's begin. <coughs> well, we're out of time. Okay. We've All right. We've been listening to our program with uh, Natalia Yushin, Rome from uh, Rome, Sweet Rome, but this time we're still in the United States, and uh, our guest uh, today was Dr. Lorraine Hartnett. And we'll be back next week. We'll still be in the U.S. next week, won't we? Yes, we will. And uh, so uh, in the meantime, between now and next week, same time, same station, may God bless us, protect us from all evil, bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the program, and will join us back for another show on WCAT Radio. This is Sebastian Mafud. Good day.